This episode of Manage Smarter is presented by Sales Fuel Consulting, leading experts for assessing and transforming management, sales, culture, and team performance. Learn more at salesfuel.com. Welcome to the Manage Smarter podcast with hosts C. Lee Smith and Audrey Strong. We're glad you're here for discussions on new ways to manage smarter, hire, develop, and retain talent, improve results, and propel team performance to new heights. This is the Manage Smarter Podcast. Welcome, everyone, to the Manage Smarter Podcast. I'm Audrey Strong, Director of Communications for Sales Fuel. And I'm C. Lee Smith, the President and CEO of Sales Fuel. Well, we are riding the crest of, I think, what is sort of cultural cutting edge right now, Lee, the Me Too movement, one of the aspects of today's conversation, right? Absolutely. I mean, we've got been a long time coming. And so with just with the stock market or anything like that, sometimes a correction is necessary. And that's kind of what we're going through from a societal point you know, at this point in time today. And it is our privilege to have Jennifer Crittenden with us. She is a former CFO and award-winning author. She's the author of The Discreet Guide for Executive Women, How to Work Well with Men. She's also got a new book out called, I love this title, Jennifer, What's a Guy to Do? <laughs> work with Women. You have really been involved in this topic for years, but now all of a sudden there's been this explosion of cultural dialogue about it. So welcome to the show. Can I tell people just a little bit more about you? Yeah, please. Thank you. All right. So Jennifer has a BA in linguistics with high distinction from Indiana University. She's a Midwesterner like we are. Yay. <laughs> MBA in finance and an MIS from the Kelly School of Business. Over 20 years of experience in corporate America. Took off for San Diego. Who could blame her? Mm -hmm. um, working for several private and public biotech companies, rising to chief accounting officer and a chief financial officer, and now kind of doing her own thing. So Jennifer, it, it is a privilege to have some of your time today to talk about, I think what a lot of people are either afraid to talk about or just plain confused about. Yeah. Or both. <laughs> yeah, right. Or both. Yeah. No, thank you very much for having me on the show. So it's Managed Smarter. I guess maybe if you could give us an overview of what you see happening right now and what some of the Me Too movement uh, nuances are. I know we talked that sometimes, you know, blatant sexual harassment situations in the workplace, you know, are super obvious to everybody. And then there are other times that they're very, very subtle. Let's start there. Yes, I think that's right. And that really gets to the crux of why I wrote the book. The media has been so full of all kinds of things, right? Really egregious behavior, the Harvey Weinstein um, kind of behavior. But in my experience, interactions at work are much more subtle. And when people are reading in the media about reputations being ruined and accusations being made, I can understand where people are asking, what's okay now? Is, it, is this still okay? Is this all right for me to say and do? So guys were asking me that question. And I felt like these are fair questions to be asking in this environment. And we're, we're actually not talking about that. We're not having an adult conversation. It's just a very adversarial, finger-pointing kind of uh, period that we're in. And we really need to introduce some common sense and some reasonableness back into this discussion. Jennifer, what's a guy to do? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think what you're talking about, for first of all, is correct. We need to start talking to each other. And I think we need to be more understanding of what other people are going through in the workplace, whether it's women or men. And I think, first of all, talking to women about their experiences in your workplace, in your company, is a great start. But it's also fair to say, huh, well, did you know this? And to have it be a dialogue instead of just a one-way conversation. So what if you're a manager of a Teams and, you know, 
one of these situations presents itself to you, how are you supposed to, what's a best practice to start sorting through and working, I guess, with HR? I mean, I guess it depends on, I, I mean, it's handled differently based on company size. I mean, I don't know. Do you, do you have sort of an SOP for this? It's complicated, right? I mean, yeah. you know, unfortunately, there are legal issues, there are HR policies, companies address this in different ways. I think I see some advice out there that I think is really counterproductive. So when I hear attorneys say to male managers now, you shouldn't meet with your female subordinates one-on-one, -on -one. you shouldn't go out to dinner with your female colleagues, I'm like, wait, stop. Stop, stop, stop the madness. We're trying to work together. We're trying to be make our companies as successful as we can make them. And sometimes that means that we're going to meet one-on-one -on -one with people of the opposite sex. That's perfectly okay in normal working relationships. And so this, you know, having the pendulum swing to this extreme of just ultra conservative, you know, paranoid, totally risk averse place, in my opinion, is wrong and counterproductive. It is, you know, it is, but you, you know, you really have to protect yourself though. I mean, if you're a guy, because you really don't know, you know, if what thing that you say perfectly innocently that you think means not, absolutely nothing could be twisted around or turned, or maybe nothing that you said could actually be reported and turn into something. And so we're always taught though, it's like, you know, the best way to deal with situations is not to get yourself into situations. And so that's kind of where that advice, I think it's blatantly unfair to a lot of the women in the workplace because, you know, the men get to go out and have beers with the boss and everything like that, one-on-one -on -one or something like that. So it's, yeah, it's really exclusionary and I think it's very unfortunate, but it's like I can also see from the guy's point of view why they feel the need to protect themselves. I can see that too, but I think if you step back and really think about the relationships that you have with your female colleagues, if you've built a good relationship with her, she's not going to flake out and do something bizarre. The stories that I hear where we've gotten a troublemaker in our midst who's, who's behaving in a very peculiar way often goes back to poor hiring practices. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, making sure that you have good, solid people who want to be productive in the workplace, who don't have an agenda, who are not, you know, working on some kind of gotcha mentality. I think then, you know, as you build that relationship and trust increases, you don't have to take such severe measures to quote unquote protect yourself. I think that's been overhyped a bit in the media. In my experiences, there were occasions where there were false accusations made, but they so quickly were revealed to be false that I, I don't think that's something that we should spend a lot of time worrying about. So other than continue to interact peer-to-peer, -peer, men and women in the workplace, what are some of the other ways that you're saying men should be working with women or relating to women? I think one of the things that I talk about in the book is a real call to action for guys, because I think we've left this these whole issues about whether or not we've developed a welcome environment or work culture for women, I think we've kind of put that to the side. Like that's somebody else's problem. That's HR's problem or that's the women's problem or women need to be taught better how to be leaders, yada, yada. And I think my book for the first time says, hey, you know what? It's your problem too. You want to have a successful company, you want to draw in people who may be of the female gender, but who have a lot to offer you. We got to work on your environment and we all got to work on this together. It's not just a woman's problem. It's not just a leadership problem. So in the book, I really ask guys to step up so that when they observe behaviors that they can see make women uncomfortable, they call other guys on it. I think we haven't seen that before, or we've seen it 
rarely. So I'll tell you a story. I went to work for a company that harbored a sexual predator, and it became very quickly apparent to me that his previous ways were still exposing themselves in this company. And in fact, he was harassing one of my employees. And so I went to HR. And uh, you know, it just, it wasn't a black and white situation. They felt the guy was otherwise a good performer. And it was clear that, you know, it wasn't going to be a slam dunk for me mm. until I enlisted the help of some of the guys, that guy's mm-hmm. subordinates who were male, who also objected to his behavior. They didn't like it when they went out with him and he made various proposals to them. And they came forward. And that's when the company developed the backbone to take action. So to me, it was a real aha. Like, I have to get guys to corroborate this behavior. Or it looks like it's just a woman who's complaining. And it's actually a very smart move because guys are very willing to bust on each other. That's kind of how we show affection (laughs) for each other. So, you know, it's like it just basically takes some education and kind of let us know, okay, you know, dude, it's like, you know, are you a freaking neanderthal or what it's like, yeah. Like, Cave, you know, yeah. So, yeah. yeah absolutely yeah. so we're more than we're more than happy to do that <laughs> and uh, those uh, you know we talk about oh is that really sexual harassment or is it not you know i think a lot of times they can recognize sexual harassment in about 15 seconds and you like you say it's like hey dude come on so i'm backing up the bus to what you said about selection and hiring practices mm-hmm. and a lot of what i'm hearing in the media because lee will tell you i'm just having been in the newsroom for years i'm still a news junkie like all day I just uh-huh. and i hear this word triggering i'm triggered this tr- tr- this language mm. triggered me this behavior triggered me and so the whole triggering discussion was something i wanted to ask you about because i feel like that's an extremely individual thing. Some people are much more hypersensitive or easily triggered than others. And it's not exactly something you can ask somebody in a job interview. So what are your thoughts on that? Boy, that's really tough. And that's, you know, it's a sign of, I would say, new sensibilities in our culture. Yes. I I think maybe in the old days, and you know, I'm from the Midwest. So that's going to be my approach is, is more of, hey, grow up. You know, this is this is normal social behavior. But I have to be sensitive to the fact that times have changed and where we are, and probably correctly so, more careful with each other. And I think that that's, a, that's good. I guess what I discover on the hiring side, again, to go back to some common sense, is I often see hiring practices that are just peculiar, where people don't post job requirements. They're not particularly clear on what the job responsibilities are. There's a lot of fumbling around about who the person is going to report to. You know, you can design a hiring process that is very straightforward and I think will have a very good result if you're serious about what you're trying to get, who you're trying to get, what job they're going to have, what that's going to look like when you bring them in. I find that some of the advice that's out there about hiring these days is just Some of it's just bizarre. But what I especially see is companies often rush through the hiring process, Mm -hmm. and that's a mistake. I think I, I really am focused on the fact that I think hiring, as far as the importance of hiring for building a really excellent work culture, we we forget the super strong connection that there is between those two things. 
and, and to that end, I think that we also have to take a, a really strong look at like, potential toxicity from, and it's it, it's something that I, I know that, you know, we've had some fan mail say, boy, Lee, you like to talk about that topic a lot. But <laughs> I think when, it, when it comes into to the employment discussion, though, it's incredibly important because this is where you basically, you want to then determine, is this person insensitive or is this person overly sensitive? And then you're looking for something kind of right there in the middle. And like, it doesn't matter how good they are at their job. If they can't get along with other people and you know, they can't take direction from their supervisors and they can't, or, and they treat people who they perceive as you know, underlings, you know, they treat them with disdain or something like that. That's not going to work long-term for your culture. No, I agree. And it, it's easy to make a mistake if you don't have a really solid, carefully designed hiring practice. One of the slogans that I like about the kind of person that you want to have is be good, get along, and work hard. And really, I think if you hire for those with those three things in mind, and the get along is important. It's one person inside a group can do a lot of damage if they don't share the same cultural, as you say, sensitivities or, or appreciation for each other that you're hoping for. And, and the diversity in that is, is absolutely, it's a wonderful thing. You know, embrace it. We, I guess what we're, we're not saying that everybody go out and hire everybody that's all the same. Oh, gosh, right? no. No. Uh, because like, you know, viva you know, the difference, you know, so that we we definitely want that but at the same point in time you just need to be careful then that, that that the people that you hire then are going to not be jerks not and you know not be entitled and that doesn't necessarily mean that when we say entitlement that i feel like i can just show up to work or whatever and not really work and, and i'm entitled to a paycheck entitlement i think you know I, particularly in this context what we're talking about today jennifer is the other direction was like, okay, I'm the boss. I worked hard to get here or I own the company or whatever. And so therefore I don't, you know, I can be non PC. I can be a jerk to somebody or, or, or make a, you know, make a joke at somebody's expense or make them feel bad or whatever. No, you can't. No, you can't. I think that the word you've used entitled, although we don't usually use it in this context, it comes to mind in a, in a particular way, which I think is interesting. One of the things that surprises me is how many women complain to me about their male colleagues commenting on their physical appearance, whether it's their clothes or their body or, you know, rather intimate things about them. And I think, what the heck? I mean, what makes you think that you have that it's okay for you to comment about a woman's body to her face. And I think that's a kind of entitlement where we just need to have, wake people up a little bit and say, that's really not okay. You can't do that um, mm -hmm. to, to a woman that you're working with. You're making her extremely uncomfortable. I'm just surprised sometimes how comfortable guys are with doing that. And, and it just takes us off guard. Well, I wanted to flip the switch to talk about your other book for our female listeners, which is The Discreet Guide for Executive Women, How to Work Well with Men and Other Difficulties. And you've been a C-Sweeter. So what is your advice for our uh, women managers and C-Sweeters? Oh, my gosh. So I wrote that book after I had been in the corporate world for over 20 years. And I felt as though there were a lot of issues that we didn't talk about because they were kind of gender-related. And the result of them, of not talking about them and having women work in environments that made them uncomfortable, in many cases, was that the women dropped out. So it was very distressing to me as I rose in the organization to arrive at the C-suite to look around and discover, hey, after all this many years, 
where are my colleagues? Because they, they've all dropped out and they would drop out, you know, in their mid-30s, most likely. And I, because I knew these um, particular cases in detail, the reasons for the dropout weren't always quite as they appeared. So sometimes the women had gotten kind of crossways in the politics, or they'd simply gotten discouraged. And so I felt, you know what, there, we can talk about this. We can train people how to navigate this environment. And we should be talking about this because we're losing an extraordinary amount of talent by not talking about it. So that, that work was really a, you know, a product of, of the heart, so to speak. I, I really wanted it to make a difference in women's lives who are attempting to rise through the ranks and who are confused um, by, the, by this, uh, what appears to be what I call a higher difficulty setting. It's just like, huh, other guys are kind of getting pie here. And, and yet I'm kind of struggling every time I make, get to try and make a promotion. Well, I have to wait a couple more years than my male peers. I, there is something that makes me apoplectic, which is in my <laughs> career, $2 word, right? When I, over the years, I've seen people just fall up. Have you heard that term? So, you know, lesser performers and achievers being promoted continually yeah. or people with attitude problems or behavioral problems falling up. They just keep falling up the, the chain. Um, so what should a, a, a C-suiter do if she is feeling uncomfortable and discouraged or wanting to drop out? What is a safe tip you have for these type of managers to be able to uh, try to rectify their environment without having it blow up in their face and being shown the door? I do think that the three things I've gone back to are, are right you know, be good, um, work hard and get along. I think those are always good advice for everyone who's trying to navigate an environment. One of the things that I have observed in younger women is that they often don't realize that there is a bias against them until they get pretty far along in their career. Mm -hmm. So I've had many women in their 20s say, no problem, I'm doing great. I don't feel a thing. And then in their 30s suddenly say, huh, I get it now because I'm looking around and I'm seeing who has quote unquote fallen up or who's bypassed me, maybe for not very good reasons. Like, you know, their, their production actually hasn't been as good as mine, but they have made relationships that I haven't made. And su- surprise, surprise, having really strong relationships with male upper management does mean that you get promoted. What I do say is recognize that the bias is there but don't get mad about it, get even. That you can recognize that the cards are stacked against you, but you can outsmart them and you can do even better than people expected because you're more aware, because you're prepared. So Jennifer, you're out in California right now and we've all heard the stories of how female unfriendly the high tech industries are. Are there any other industries though that, first of all, do you believe that's true? Second of all, are there any other industries that you feel like are particularly female unfriendly? I do think it's true about the tech industry. The stories that I hear, the remarkable insensitivity of the male colleagues and a 
cluelessness on the part of the male leadership. I, I think it's a real problem. The thing about the tech industry, and I'd say this is awful, also true for the biotech industry, is that you often have senior managers, even CEOs, who are fairly young and fairly inexperienced. And so when this kind of stuff starts swirling around in the workplace, they are undone. They are just not mm-hmm. prepared to deal with that. I think also a lot of those guys don't understand the importance of HR. And so just when there are people who probably could help them, um, they're not turning to those people. You know, there's a certain arrogance that goes with that, which I get. You know, I, I probably suffered them from that um, before, I, uh, before I woke up to. I, sure. think the, I think the venture capital companies often have that kind of testosterone-driven, you know, um, results-oriented. They don't have the patience for things that they think of as touchy-feely problems. So any place where you've got that mentality of it's all about productivity, it's not about the culture, I think you're going to see problems. Yeah. Discreetguide.com, correct, Jennifer, is where people can reach out to you. Where else uh, do you want them to reach out to you if they have questions or would like to connect with you further? Oh, no, that'd be wonderful. I'd love to hear from your audience about what their experiences are. And I think my book, What's a Guide to Do?, I've emphasized that in the book. This needs to be a conversation. I think we need to all learn from each other about what's happening right now. And there's, there's much more to learn, much more to discuss. But if we, if we start out in this adversarial sort of bar fight mentality, uh, you know, I think that's, that's going to hurt us. Sounds good. Well, everybody, managesmarter.com for all the back episodes as well as Jennifer's. And please subscribe, rate, review, tell a friend about this, share it, give us some word of mouth and spread it around. Jennifer, I know you're going to send it to all your stakeholders and we're so pleased you could come on the show today. Yeah, me too. I really enjoyed our conversation. It's great to talk to you again. I enjoy speaking with you out in San Diego at the ATD conference, you and me and about 16,000 other people. <laughs> yeah, all right. It's always yeah, great to pick room. up the conversation. <laughs> yeah, no, thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and recommend on iTunes, Overcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also get more great information at salesfuel.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.